Welcome to Behind the Post, a podcast discussing all things B2B social media, presented by Octopost. In each episode, you'll hear from creative social media managers who will discuss what really takes place behind social media and how they fuel their own creative process. Listen on for inspiration, tips, and secrets you need to craft your next masterpiece social campaign and engage your audience. Introducing your host, Olivia Messina. Hello, and welcome back to Behind the Post. My next guest is a growth marketer at Drip, a former head of content at Sleekno and Drip. He helped grow both marketing blogs to over 180,000 organic visitors a month. He's the co-author of Subscribe, the world's first and only book about website pop-ups, and his work has been featured in CNBC, The Times, and Fast Company, as well as leading marketing blogs, including Ahrefs, Search Engine Journal, and SEMrush. Without further ado, please welcome to the show, Sam Thomas Davis. Sam, are you ready to go behind the post with me? I'm ready. Let's do it. Amazing. I'm so excited to have you here today. I've heard only good things about you and your work, so I'm very excited to pick your brain. But before we get into that, I would love if you could just share a little brief background of your professional journey and how you found yourself at Drip. Yeah, so my story is unusual. I was working in a call center after I graduated from university, and I was feeling really depressed to be honest this was not how I planned on spending my life mm-hmm. and I wanted to do more I didn't know what I could do but I knew there was something that I wanted to do and around that time two things happened the first was Tim Ferris released the four-hour work week which I read and I was massively inspired by and the second thing was I reconnected with an old friend of mine And I asked him what he'd been up to. And he told me that he had been working in Spain as an au pair. And I said, really? Men can be au pairs? And he said, yeah, you would be surprised. So I started exploring different ways that I could leave the UK. Mm -hmm. And one evening I ended up registering an account on this very dodgy looking au pair website. Mm -hmm. And within a week or two, I arranged a video call with a family based in Sweden and they invited me over and I said really is it that easy and they said yeah just come over if you like it great if you don't we can pay for your flight back so I decided to go all in on this decision I quit my job I sold everything I owned and on September 20th 2012 I moved to Sweden which is where I am now 10 plus years later So in terms of how I got into marketing, I realized very quickly that I had all this free time. When you're working as an au pair, you're only really working in the mornings and the late afternoons and early evenings. Mm -hmm. And I was so inspired by Tim Ferriss and lifestyle design and entrepreneurship. I decided to spend all of my free time exploring those topics. And I had a blog at the time. I'd always had different blogs, but... I never really knew how to grow traffic or anything like that. So I spent all my time studying internet marketing, SEO, copywriting. And eventually after I ended up leaving my host family some years later, I was working as a freelance copywriter. Mm -hmm. And I was learning how to make money and sell my services. And it was very much a feast or famine life that I was living. And 
one day I saw this job advertised by a company in Denmark and they were looking for a head of content. Mm. And I figured I can do this. I have grown my own blog to a hundred thousand plus visitors a month. And I took a look at their site and I just knew I could do this. I knew this job was made for me. Yeah. So I interviewed at the company and the CMO said to me, Sam, we're not really looking for a freelancer. We're really looking for an employee. Would you be open to that? And I said, yeah, I think I would. So I got hired and I was with Sleeknote for five plus years as the head of content. And then last year, Drip acquired Sleeknote and I'm still with Drip today. And that's my 10 plus year journey in a couple of minutes. Wow. I love that. And I always find it so interesting to hear how marketers got into the place that they are today. And it's so funny because I have a similar background as well. I did not go to school for marketing. I went to school to be a teacher. And after I graduated, I was a full-time nanny. And while I was nannying, I was also building up my personal brand and learning social on the side. And then I actually was a teacher for a little bit and then applied to Octopus where I could actually use everything that I learned about social media and personal branding and community. So that is so funny. And wow, I love that. I love that story. And it's just, yeah, it's always so interesting to hear how marketers ended up where they are today. And speaking of Drip, for anyone that might not know of Drip, what is Drip and what does your role entail? Sure. So Drip is going through a transition right now. It was an ESP, an email service provider for e-commerce, but now we're transitioning more into an eCRM. So we're so much more than an email marketing provider. We also have on-site tools so you can capture visitors' emails, you can survey new visitors, you can use quizzes. And I'm really excited about the transition that we're going through right now. And as far as my role is concerned, I was head of content for the first 10 months or so. And recently I switched to a growth marketer role and your former colleague Whitney took my yeah. old job. So it was really nice, funny how we connected actually. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that your successor and you know that your successor has achieved so much mm -hmm. and she's doing an amazing job. Shout out to Whitney if she's listening to she's or bet. watching this. <laughs> and my role right now is focused on demand gen for drip but we also recently started a podcast as well which i've been building with some of the other team members and that's been an amazing experience as well so maybe that's something we can dive into as well yeah totally i love that and my next question hopefully will be an easy one for you considering your background and the fact that you your work has been listed in so many prestigious publications so I'm very curious to know, where do you think that B2B content marketers are missing the mark today? There's so many different ways to answer this question. I think what's most top of mind for me right now is there are so many learnings from looking at businesses outside of B2B. Mm. And I think a lot of B2B companies are still using old ways of marketing and there's a lot that needs to change in order for them to catch up. I don't want to say too much about this because I think something we can talk about later is content, how I'm creating content, what I've learned from others. And I think I can probably speak more on it when we talk about that. But yeah. one thing I will say is I think B2B 
content marketers need to understand that it's not enough to think like a writer. You have to think like a publishing house. You have to think like an SEO. You have to think about all the different types of readers that are consuming your content. Content is so much more than writing a blog post. It's how you're communicating on social. It's how you're communicating in your ads. People are so much more likely to buy from people rather than brands. And you really need a face for that brand. So those are a few things top of mind for me right now. Yeah, I I keep seeing a lot of TikToks and jokes about that specifically where people are so focused on just one part of marketing, but they are just ignoring everything else. And the joke is like, how do you expect it to work if you're not having an all-encompassing strategy? And I would love to talk about personal branding, actually, because I know that you are building an incredible presence and I've been absolutely loving your content. And personal branding is actually something that I am really trying to grow my personal brand on LinkedIn right now. It's my goal this year. So I think this is going to be an interesting conversation, but I would love to know, I know you've been a little apprehensive at first when it came to social. So I'd love to know, has there been anything that has surprised you over the past couple of months and what are your big takeaways? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I always had blogs and for me, content was blog posts, articles, and I got really good at SEO and I figured, okay, I'll stay in my lane and that's what I'm good at. And I think it was around 2021. I'd always been on Twitter, but like most people, I was on there to follow people I liked and didn't really see it as anything other than that. Mm -hmm. I started seeing the same people recommended over and over again, people I'd never heard of. People like Dickie Bush, people like Nicholas Cole, people like Justin Welsh, people like Dan Coe. And I would go on their profiles and I would see the size of their audiences. Mm -hmm. And I would also see when they joined Twitter. And these were people that were growing 100,000 person audiences in less than two or three years. Oh my God. And that fascinated me because as someone that has been working in SEO for so long and I'm very old school in my thinking. It's all about growing the email list and I'm a big email guy. And I always look down on social because I always thought social was for people posting selfies and talking about what they're reading for the lunches. And yeah, I just couldn't get into it. And I couldn't think of a way that I could put myself on social and it not feel like that. Yeah. So I went down this rabbit hole and I chose a couple of people that I wanted to really study. One in particular was Justin Welsh and he had bought, he had built this enormous presence online. I think he has over half a million followers on all the socials and his whole deal was he would write something every day. He started on LinkedIn and then he moved over to Twitter and I learned so much from studying him and I know we'll go into more detail later on this call about how to get started and what's working right now. But I think there is so much value in posting on social every day. Mm -hmm. And it's probably something I would encourage people to do now rather than building a website and growing an email list because that can come later. You can do it at the beginning, but you have to have a very good understanding of SEO at the beginning. But I had my entire worldview changed because I realized that social is actually an amazing place for you to share your expertise, to Mm -hmm. share what's working, what you're learning, your mistakes, your failures, your successes, 
and yeah. connect with people that you might never have connected with otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I agree. And that's the one reason why I love social media. The fact that you can connect with so many people that you never would have had the chance to before. I've made so many genuine friends from social and I've met so many people and I've met my mentor on social. There is so much incredible, so many incredible things that you can get from social. And I think for personal branding, for me, when I first came to Octopost, I thought I had to be more professional when it came to LinkedIn. And I was a little more reserved, especially because LinkedIn, honestly, this might be surprising, wasn't my strong suit. Now I'm almost two years in at Octopost, but I was a teacher. I didn't even have LinkedIn before I applied to Octopost, which is so funny because now I feel like I'm very well-versed in LinkedIn. And now I'm a lot more comfortable on LinkedIn and sharing more stories, but I feel like I've been trying to share more things that I share in my personal networks and you never really know what's going to work. And what I think is so funny is social media can really have a huge impact on your business. Obviously, like that's our whole mission at Octopus is to be able to measure the real business value of social on the bottom line. And I've had times where we have customers that have found out about us through my personal TikTok which is, it boggles my mind to know that they saw a video that I posted and now they're a customer and they found out about, about it because of me. It still blows my mind. And the more that I'm opening up on LinkedIn, for example, the more positive things that are coming from that. So it's really incredible. I think LinkedIn in particular is a fascinating platform because I think people are predisposed to be more positive because they know that their employers are seeing what they're posting, unlike yeah. Twitter, where there's a lot of trolling and things like that. And you mentioned something really interesting, which was how you had a customer that found you through TikTok. And I think that's one of the big criticisms of why attribution is broken now, because you might see an ad today for this company and the next day read a blog post and like the author and Google the author and find their TikTok or something yeah. like that. And I, I'm really championing right now more companies to encourage their employees to build personal brands because mm -hmm. I mean, you and I are a great example because you can write about what you're learning on the job and it reflects back on Octopus. And that's something that I'm trying to do a lot in my LinkedIn content as well is I'm writing about building this podcast. I'm writing about the learnings I'm having being on a high-performing team. I'm writing about the mistakes people make with planning projects. And these aren't only topics that are really interesting to me, but they reflect back on drip. And yeah. I'm very particular about how I word certain things. I try not to say, I started a podcast last week because I didn't. It was a team effort. I like to say, drip started a podcast last week or the team. And I want people to be on that journey with me. And mm -hmm. I think there's so much to be said for that. Totally. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And yeah, there's something so special about LinkedIn and how you can really grow when it comes to posting on social and building your personal brand. It doesn't only affect you, 
but it also affects the company that you work for. And it also helps them with their employer brand. It also helps you with maybe positions down the road. I had a social media manager actually on the show that said, I will never need to apply for another job again because of the personal brand that I have built. She gets job offers all day long. And she says, I've built something that has got me to the point where I don't even need to apply to jobs. People are just reaching out to me. And I think that is something very special. And I want to talk about dark social because I know it is an interesting topic right now. And there's a lot of discussions going around. So I would love to know your take. Yeah, I can comment on it a little bit. To be honest, I'm still learning a lot about it myself. And that is also why I became fascinated by social because like we mentioned earlier, it's so difficult to say even yourself when or where you discovered a brand because you might misattribute it as well you might have seen an ad and clicked on an ad but then you got interrupted but then you saw a linkedin post from the ceo because you happen to follow them through a first or second party connection Mm -hmm. and i think that is the big discussion point right now i know i'm blanking on the name of the influencer now i want to say chris walker I'm so sorry, Chris, if I'm getting your name wrong, but I think there that's... is, uh, it is Chris Walker, right? Yeah. From, uh, what is the name of the, Rep... go ahead. Is it Repview or is it? Yeah, it might be. We'll put it in the show notes because it's important yeah. for people to, to go and read about, but he makes this case about attribution is broken. And really, if you want to have this healthy balance of push marketing with your ads and your content and pull marketing, you really want to have a good blend of the two. And I know this probably doesn't answer your question as much as you like, but I think it all comes down to what are some of the ways that customers are coming into your funnel that you might not have thought about and how can you potentially double down on them? Mm, Very interesting. And I think that's where it's important. I think this is where employee advocacy really comes into play because when I personally reflect on the brands that I love the most, and I think about where I first discovered them, it's not that I discovered the brand, it's I discovered someone that worked there and is posting about it. And that's the best. Like when you find someone and you trust them, you build trust in the brand that they represent, which is the whole power of advocacy. So I think that's just another vote and confidence for advocacy all around. But I would love to talk a little bit more about your creative process. Obviously, you've been a content marketer for quite some time now, and I would love to know how you go about creating engaging content. Do you have a creative process that you follow? Could you share a few tips and tricks? Yeah, absolutely. And almost everything I'm about to say has come from people much smarter than me. So I'll try and give credit where credit is due, where I can. So there's a couple of ways I go about this. And I think one important thing to mention is when I started posting on social, I actually started on Twitter and I think it was September of last year. I decided, okay, I'm going to post every day for Q4 and then I'm going to try LinkedIn. And I think around halfway, I started posting on LinkedIn as well. And what I noticed was the audiences are completely different. That might sound like an obvious point, but I made the mistake of assuming just because this post works well on this platform, it will work well on this platform. And that wasn't the case at all. So I think my first piece of advice is find one platform and really double down on that for an entire quarter. 
In terms of my process, I have a couple of different ways that I do this. So I should mention as well that I actually have a personal newsletter that I write each week as well. And what I'm doing is I'm using what's called the hub and spoke model. I learned this from Justin Welsh. And the way to think about this is you have a piece of hub content. It can be a newsletter. It can be a blog post. It can be a podcast like this. Mm -hmm. And what you then do is you break it off into smaller spokes where you push the hub, the hub's topic through different lenses, like how to story X versus Y contrarian. And you can end up with seven to nine pieces of content. So Wow. Let's do let's do an example of this. Let's say that this podcast episode is your hub content. And let's say that you've transcribed it. What you can do now is you can write a LinkedIn post where you tell a story and maybe you retell my story that I told in the beginning and the call to action is to listen to the episode. So that's like a promo piece. Mm-hmm. You might write a piece of content where you tell a, a contrarian take. You might say, most people think that you have to spend lots of hours creating content, when in reality, the top creators today are doing this. So you introduce an alternate point of view. Maybe you share a how-to. So maybe you take this section of the transcript that we're talking about now, and you turn that into a LinkedIn post. Maybe you share your personal experience with trying to create daily content and how you overcame the challenges along the way. So already just with us freestyling here, you can just take one piece of hub content and you can break it down into these smaller spokes. So that's one thing that I really encourage people to do if they have a a newsletter and they want to find ways to repurpose that newsletter or podcast episode on LinkedIn, or even in an email, I can give you a great example. I wrote a LinkedIn post on Tuesday. And then I took that same post and I put it in the email and I sent it out to our email list promoting the podcast. So it's all part of a bigger process, but you can just take this hub content, break it down and repurpose it for different channels. So that's one way. What I'm doing on LinkedIn right now, I'm writing one post every day. And oftentimes I'm sharing my experiences of working at a tech company as someone in demand gen. I'm running about productivity, I'm running about project planning and everything like that. One of the biggest learnings I've had over the last two quarters, it's not just what you write about, it is the way that you write about it. It is the way that you frame the content. You might have seen a lot of posts with bullet points where it starts very short and then it gets longer as the bullet points goes down. That's one mm-hmm. format that you can experiment with. Yeah. What I love to do is I love to go on Twitter And I love to look for tweets from followers that I like that have really interesting pieces of content. Maybe it has very high engagement, so more than 100 likes. And then I save it into Notion and I try and reverse engineer why I thought it worked well. Mm. And what you can do is you can put that on a different channel. So for instance, I saw a tweet a couple of months ago and the format was, at age blank, at age blank, at age blank. And it went all the way down. And then there was like a closing statement. And I thought, oh, I really like that because you have that repetition at the beginning and then each bullet gets a little bit longer. And then there's like a closing statement at the end. So Mm -hmm. I wrote my own version and I put it on LinkedIn and it did really well. So I think there's so much to be said about looking at content that performs very well Mm -hmm. trying to reverse engineer why it works and trying to put your own unique spin on it. It won't always work, but you will end up with templates that you can 
use over and over again. And all the top creators say creating content is about saying the same thing a thousand different ways. And I yeah. totally believe that. Mm -hmm. And it's also going to help you with overcoming writer's block as well. Anytime you need to write something, you can look at one of your templates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can go on, but that, that those okay. are a few ideas uh, to get started with. I have a follow-up question. So as you're going through, do you have a specific format that you follow every time? So do you always have a hook, a body, and then a call to action? I know for me, something that I struggle with is creating a really engaging hook. Sometimes I'm like ready to jump into like the meat of my posts, but I'd love to know, do you have like the same format? Do you think you need to have a call to action in every single post and do you have any tips for writing super engaging hooks? Yeah. So this is something I'm experimenting with all the time. And I think it depends on the channel. So LinkedIn, for instance, you have the first three lines and then it says read more. So most mm -hmm. people are trying to write this hook where maybe there's a strong opening sentence and then you want to have the third sentence to make someone click read more yeah i know if you upload an image it limits it to two sentences so sometimes if i'm writing a hook and i can only think of a hook that's two sentences i'll add an image just for the mm -hmm. sake of it so that i can get the read more love it i think it's it's difficult it takes a lot of work and one thing i'll mention as well i very rarely have a call to action in my post because it's almost just, I think it was Nathan Barry that said, learning out loud. I'm just learning out loud and I'm inviting people to read these posts if they want, but if not, no problem. This this might sound ridiculous, but my growth on Twitter right now is pretty much non-existent, but I still write a tweet every day. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do that is because I found one of the unexpected upsides from creating content every day is it's so good for ideation and it's so good for coming up with new ideas. So I'm really doubling down on LinkedIn now because that's where I'm seeing my growth in terms of followers and impressions. But yeah. I love posting on Twitter as well because you still have these constraints that you have to work within. And mm -hmm. like I mentioned earlier, so many interesting frameworks are performing well on Twitter. So I encourage people to be on both. Yeah. but to double down on one in terms of posting. You're definitely inspiring me to get on Twitter because it is something that I honestly am not personally active on too much. I do scroll through. It's interesting to just see what other like people in social media are saying, but I'm not actively posting on Twitter as I am LinkedIn. Um, so you're inspiring me <laughs> to get back on Twitter. But just, just to add to that as well, Olivia, I think what's been so helpful for me, and I learned this from Dickie Bush, when you go into Twitter, especially if you follow more than 100 people, it's so crowded and it's impossible to know where to start. So what mm -hmm. I encourage everyone to do is create lists in Twitter. I have free lists based on the number of followers each person has. And then what I do is I use a tool called TweetDeck. And mm -hmm. what you can do in TweetDeck is you can recreate these lists in one view and then you can add filters. So when I go into my tweet deck, I can see each of my lists, but I filtered out replies and I only want to see tweets with more than 100 likes. Mm. So when I go into tweet deck every morning, I literally spend maybe five, 10 minutes just scrolling through. And if I see a really interesting format that makes me feel something like, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Oh, that made me stop scrolling. Mm -hmm. I save it into Notion. I turn it into a template and I try and think of a way that I could build on it or make it my own on LinkedIn. That's a brilliant tip. Yeah, because I, when it comes to Twitter, I feel like I don't even know where to start when it comes to content. I don't know 
what kind of content that I would share about. Cause some people share like very short, like thought leadership stuff. Some people share tips and tricks. I feel a little lost when it comes to Twitter, whereas I'm definitely more confident on LinkedIn. And I have a, another follow-up question. Since you've been posting on LinkedIn every day, have you noticed that posts without links do better? 100%. And in fact, I can share another learning I had recently as well, which uh, was really eye-opening. So firstly, regarding the links, this is actually the same, so I think I can ask, answer both. So when we launched the podcast a week or two ago, I wrote this LinkedIn post and I invited everyone at the company to like the post to boost visibility. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting is you would assume, okay, more likes, more comments, more visibility. I think what LinkedIn does is it can see whether all the likes are coming from people at the company. Because what was fascinating was the reach for that post was less than the reach for the post I wrote the day before, which was something I wrote in 60 seconds saying, I have a big announcement tomorrow, watch this space. And Mm -hmm. that had a higher reach than the big promotion post. Now regarding the the links, this is where it gets interesting. You would assume listening to this, oh, well maybe you made the mistake of putting the link in in the body or something like that. I actually waited an hour based on research that I've read and then it added it as a comment. And it mm-hmm. made no difference at all. So I do believe, based on what I've read, if you're adding links to your LinkedIn posts, you are going to massively impact the reach of that post. What I would encourage you to do instead is spend that first hour replying to comments. Mm-hmm. And after an hour has elapsed, paste it as a comment and you should have better visibility for that post. Yeah, this is where I get so frustrated when it comes to LinkedIn because I hear this all the time and people have examples But then, for example, yesterday, I had a post that I posted off of our employee advocacy board. So I just switched up the messaging a little bit, and it was a few bullet points of a report from last year. Actually, Whitney wrote the report, and it was just a very simple post. It had a link, and I think the my hook was like, here's some food for thought for my social media managers on this Thursday. It was very simple, and... For me, it's like one of my top performing posts and I I don't, and and it happened very quickly. And I was so surprised because it was like a very simple post. I wasn't getting, I wasn't being vulnerable or like opening up or sharing a story or experience. It was just like very short, actionable insights. So I think that's obviously where it took off because like very actionable insights, everyone loves those, but it had a link in the post and I have other posts that don't have links that just haven't performed as well. And I know for us at Octopost, like on our corporate page, posts without links do so much better. But I thought that was so interesting yesterday. And this is obviously where you always need to do what's best for you. And if something is working for you, keep doing that. But I just thought that was so interesting. And I just had to get your take on it. Yeah, that is interesting. And that's where I actually disagree with a lot of the experts to talk about you need to spend time reverse engineering why your top posts work. And maybe I'm still new in the game because I've only been doing this for three months. But if I go into Shield, no affiliation, by the way, I just think they're an amazing analytics tool. And I look at my top posts, mm-hmm. I can't reverse engineer what worked because yeah. is it the format? Is it the content? I have one post talking about AI and it was like one of the top posts I've ever written, but everyone's talking about AI. So was it the right place at the right time? I have another post talking about 
getting a new job position. And that was, again, super popular, but it was a little bit self-indulgent because I was talking about my life and my job. And I've had other posts which I felt were highly actionable and informational and they just completely sank. So I think the important takeaway is it's probably very discouraging for a lot of people to public firstly publishing every day it is actually difficult but it's a lot easier when you have a process in place and that's actually something that I'm working really hard on right now is improving my process because I struggle with it sometimes too but it is interesting and I think you have to just keep going because eventually you'll probably have enough data to be able to decide okay this is the perfect type of post that I need to write to get Mm -hmm. full reach yeah definitely and there are so many factors that go into it and there are certain seasons where you know your content might be a little, you might have a little less reach and engagements always in December, like engagements start to dip a little bit, but you never know, like you could post something and it could be a summer evening where there's really nice weather and everyone is outside and they're not on LinkedIn or there was like a football game going on that day and no one's on social media. So you never know like when it's going to work. There's so many factors at play, but that's kind of fun part, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So we're nearing the end of the show here and I have one final question for you. And that is what is one thing you wish your colleagues and other departments knew about content marketing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think some departments have a misconception about what a blog, for instance, is really about. I think some departments think it should be to educate customers rather than pull people into the funnel. I think another learning as well is content is such a broad term and it can apply to so many different types of content. And I think everyone can benefit from posting online, whether it's on a blog or on Twitter. And really taking a conscious effort of how they want to be perceived online. People will judge you regardless, but you can decide how you want to be perceived. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is really important. And I think a lot of people would benefit more from thinking about how they would approach their own content to get a better understanding of how companies are approaching content. That's great advice. And thank you so much for joining me here today. I feel like I've learned so much and I have so many takeaways. I'm going to listen back and take notes. So thank you so much for joining me behind the post. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And thank you for everyone listening. I do have one thing to end with. You might see, so if you're listening to this, you won't be able to see it, but we have a physical book. And if you email me, sd at drip.com i will send you a physical book it is our book subscribe it is the only book on pop-ups and how to use on-site marketing there are no strings attached i will send you a real book and we can put that in the show notes as well so send me an email and i'll send you a book love it thanks sam thank you thanks for going behind the post if you love today's show Let's get social and continue the conversation. Reach out on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn and tag at Octopost. If you don't want to miss a single episode, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more free social media tips and resources, check us out at octopost.com. See you next time.